Hello and welcome to the Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane for the issue of the Lancet dated January the 2nd to the 8th and a happy new year to you all. Only one topic in this week's podcast and we start the rollout of a series on neglected tropical diseases. Without further ado, let's hear from the main guru of the series, Professor David Molyneux, who is based at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine and he is talking to my colleague Tony Kirby. Link to the series is an interview by Tony of Professor Molyneux in the profile section within perspectives of this week's issue. Could you outline the thinking behind this series and why you believe it was needed and what are the key points emerging from it? I've written various things on NTDs starting in 2004 where The Lancet published a viewpoint uh, which I submitted. It was in embryo about two years and it was articulating my own thoughts about the these diseases which I'd worked on all my life. It really reflected the fact that here you had um, diseases which had been successfully eliminated or controlled. Nobody was really taking any notice of them. The momentum was maintained through some meetings WHO organized in Berlin. They then decided to establish a department of neglected tropical diseases. During this time, of course, the Gates Foundation have been putting a significant amount of money into various programs for these diseases, although not as much clearly as HIV and malaria. And they were really very keen on uh, moving these diseases forward in terms of operational research. So quite a bit of extra money was coming into the Gates Foundation. Indeed, we had some for filariasis. There was money for onchocerciasis, cystosarcosis. Trips, leishmania, and so on. But much of this was orientated to product development work as opposed to implementation research or field programs. Nonetheless, I mean, the evidence from country studies and those countries that had actually implemented programs, it was very clear that actually you could control these diseases. The issue then was how we get this into the health policy environment and get people thinking about, you know the Millennium Development Goals in a very different way than just HIV and TB and malaria. I talked a bit to the Global Fund. Um, they were not particularly receptive, although a colleague, Vinan Nantulia, who was a senior policy advisor in the Global Fund, was certainly uh, uh, susceptible, and we published a paper in the BMJ in 2004 about integrating the programs for filariasis and malaria. Suddenly, there was a sort of takeoff interest, and it involved meeting me meeting with Jeff Sachs on a couple of occasions, who really wasn't aware of these diseases either. He sort of gave his backing to, to the idea that neglected tropical diseases should be higher on the policy agenda. And so it, it took off from there. In addition to that, I met with Peter Hotes from George Washington University at a WHO meeting, and we got on quite well in terms of uh, publishing papers in PLOS Medicine on a couple of occasions in New England Journal. And the momentum continued, really, with the U.S. government putting significant money into NTDs, and that last year was followed by the U.K. government as well. But this has always been about advocacy and highlighting the discrepancy between the rich and the poor on the one hand and the discrepancy between the research funding for malaria, HIV, etc., and these diseases, as well as the implementation issues around this and the fact that diseases which affect a billion people which have got effective tools available are being ignored and those effective tools are also we're dependent on the pharmaceutical industry who make huge contributions to this whilst of course the pharmaceutical industry is not always the white knights of, uh, of international health and medicine they have made a huge commitment to providing quality drugs free for as long as is needed in some cases so really we have a 
a situation here which is a I say this quite often if we can't deliver free drugs to poor people which actually have multiple impacts I really don't think there's very much else we can do in international health and I mean I know I get accused of knocking the HIV and malaria communities frankly we've got to be much more holistic in our approach to international health and utilize whatever delivery systems and financing we can um, I'm always amazed how siloed the malaria community tend to be, as well as the HIV community. They don't think beyond the box, really. And, and that's what's one of the things we're trying to do. Neglected tropical diseases, for our um, readers and listeners who aren't aware, could you give us a few examples of them and the symptoms well, and the damage the, they cause? I mean, the estimated at-risk population. I mean, a third of the world live in areas where they can be at risk from these diseases. The burden of disease estimates are very flaky. I mean, we've estimated that they do cause, you know, 57 million dollars each year. Half a million deaths. Half a million deaths. I mean, the problem is that they don't kill people directly. They don't affect people in the Western countries directly, unlike malaria. If you go on holiday to Kenya, you're likely to get malaria if you don't take antimalarials or sleep under a net or put on repellents. You're not going to get filariasis, worms or schistosomiasis unless you uh, get um, great exposure. And the point about the, the, these diseases, at least the, the helminth diseases of the group of neglected tropical diseases, is that you only get pathology if you're, uh, you've got a high worm load. So if you take the worm diseases, you only get serious pathology if you get a high worm load. One infected bite from a mosquito or a black fly is not going to make you disabled or blind. They're what I call cumulative infections. They build up over time. In contrast to, uh, we, I call them in the first Lancet paper I wrote, macroparasites. They are big parasites. They don't develop drug resistance. Because they're biologically stable and don't reproduce very fast, you end up with a situation where your policy for control is stable over, the, over years. That can result in rapid impact if you imply your strategies. In contrast to those diseases where you can rapidly develop drug resistance, like malaria, where you really have limited time to respond because the malaria parasite is so reproductively uh, fit, as is it in that case, it's, it's vector. The other issue is why, why aren't, I mean, the most common of these diseases are undoubtedly the intestinal worms. And the figures for a worm like Ascaris, the, the large roundworm, is something like a billion people infected. Schistosomiasis, you know, you're talking about 200 million. And one of the real characteristics of these diseases is poor people in rural populations actually have more than one. They're polyparasitized. They don't just have one worm, which is contributing to morbidity or pathology. They have schisto, they may have uh, filariasis, they may have onchocerciasis, they will certainly have intestinal helminths, ascaris, tricurus, hookworm. Uh, so you've got uh, very common infectious diseases, um, which cause pathology as a result of the numbers of organisms um, that people acquire. Um, that can be treated easily uh, with drugs which cost um, often less than five cents and, and certainly in some cases two cents, some of which are, do are donated. Um, and uh, the drugs which we use, particularly ivermectin, albendazole uh, for filariasis and ivermectin for onchocerciasis alone, actually bring multiple benefits in terms of impact on hookworm, on ectoparasites, uh, on other intestinal worms. So, you know, you've got the fantastically efficacious quality product, which is donated by drug companies, and it has profound impact on anemia, nutritional status, growth, 
Um, it takes it stops transmission as well of the infection, which is the strategy for filariasis and onchocerciasis. Reduces skin disease and ectoparasites. Fantastic products, having multiple effects on the health of the poorest people. And the drug distribution strategies, the mass drug distribution or the school-based distribution, usually through communities. In the case of the mass drug distribution in Africa. Those strategies are pro-poor. You're not discriminating against anybody. You're making sure that the poorest people who are eligible get the products. If we look at the neglected diseases, they are spread right across the global tropics. They polyparasitize people. The worms are the most common, but can be treated because we have other drugs. And then there's a the group of what we call tool deficient, or WHO called tool deficient diseases: the sleeping sicknesses, the leishmanias, the borreliosis, which really have got very inadequate drugs. Tend to be toxic. You can actually get these conditions by the bite of a single insect, although we don't know what the epidemiology of borreliosis is. But in the case of sleeping sickness and leishmaniasis, we do actually need new drugs. We need research into new drugs. But we can also do something about sleeping sickness if we put our minds to it. And that really is dependent on countries having strong health systems to implement strategies which we know worked 30 or 40 years ago. Many thanks to David Molyneux and Tony Kirby, and to you all for listening. See you next time.